This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's the Hockey News Podcast. Matt Larkin here, and Ken Campbell is here, and we are in Boston, Massachusetts. It probably sounds a little different. That sound quality, yeah, it sounds probably somewhat similar to what it was last year when it wasn't as good. That's because we are using our portable, whatever we can find to record this bad boy. We are using what we have at our disposal. That's right. Just for you guys, because we want to bring you this bonus coverage as we prepare for Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. That's right. And uh, we want to break down the series for you, so we're going to do it. Uh, Bit by bit, piece by piece, St. Louis Blues, Boston Bruins, we're going to start with offense. And to me, uh, even if you just look at the numbers, it's pretty clear who has the edge here in this series. Boston's being arguably the best offensive team in the playoffs. Not just the power play, but just offense in general. They can ice the best lineup possible in terms of frontline forwards. You've still got the powerhouse line, Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak. I don't think the Blues have anything that can match that level, especially when it comes to, you know, late in the game, trying to tie a game or putting your best guys out there. The Blues can't match what the Bruins can put on the ice. Yeah, They can yeah. come close, you know, if you have O'Reilly out there, Jane Schwartz and yeah. Vladimir Tarasenko, but I don't think there's anything that comes close to the Bruins' big line. Uh, so I don't know. To me, the offense is... I don't want to say no contest, but Boston's been clearly the better offensive team throughout the playoffs. Oh yeah, I, I think that I think that one of the the um, real sort of underlying themes of this series is going to be the Bruins forwards and how the how the St. Louis defensemen match up with them. Um, and I think I think that's going to dictate a lot of what happens in this series. I, I think you're right about the Bruins offense. It is high octane. Uh, it is producing it's deep i mean charlie coyle has six goals as a third line center in the playoffs um that's good but you know the the blues are kind of kind of sneaky deep too you know like they've got 18 i think 18 guys have have points and 13 guys have goals or 12 or 13 guys have goals in the playoffs um they've been getting a lot of a lot of production from a lot of different people you know tarasenko woke up in the last series after basically doing nothing five on five in the first two rounds uh really woke up in the in the conference final so i i'm not sure that it's it's uh it's as as pronounced as you say it is but i I do think that the bruins definitely have an edge there's no question about that and one thing we were sort of debating actually right before we started this podcast is um do the blues have better forward depth than the bruins we know the bruins their checking lines are very effective Charlie Coyle's had a really good playoffs, so there's depth there, of course. But I wonder sometimes on any given night, like I still think of Boston as more of a top-heavy team, whereas the Blues, they tend to distribute their scoring. So even though, you know, you might have an Alex Steen on your fourth line on any given night, and even Tyler Bozak. Bozak, you know, no one would ever confuse him with a complete player. But for someone who plays, you know, often bottom six type of minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, he he still has some finish. So I think the Blues might have more finish up and down the lineup where every single line is a threat to score. Mm-hmm. Where the Bruins, we know the top two lines are going to be scoring threats, but you know your Sean Corrales, your Noel Achiaris, those guys aren't out there to score goals. They might they might score the odd goal and it's a bonus, yeah. but in terms of just pure scoring touch, I, I think the Blues, I don't know, maybe yeah. they're deeper. Yeah. Well, I mean, nine, I'm just looking at it. I, I'm 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 standing corrected here. Nineteen guys for the Blues have points in these playoffs, and it looks like eighteen of those guys have goals. Well, um, so you know, including. 
you know, Robert Bertuzzo. Bertuzzo. And it was a beauty. You know, it, it was, was a, a beauty. beauty. You know, but I mean, you know, you've got a guy like Sammy Blay who can, who's shown he can be a poor man's Brad Marchand and be a real physical guy and, and also actually contribute occasionally offensively. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I like I said, I don't think it's as, as, as pronounced as maybe some people might think it is. I mean, what have they got from their defensemen? They've got two from Pietrangelo, one from Pareko, two from Vince Dunn, one from Joel Edmondson, none from Jay Bomeister, which you really wouldn't expect, and one from Bortuzzo. So they're getting you know, some pretty decent offense from the back end as well. Right, and I think both teams, in terms of offense from the defense, I see that matchup as pretty even because you've got, we've got Troy Krug, yeah. you've got Charlie McAvoy. And yeah, then the, and, Yeah, that's right. And then the Blues, it's funny, I'm glad you said his name. Because I, I can never say his name. Yeah. I'm like, whew, Ken said it for me. You know what, though? Uh, like, Grizzly, it's, it's actually Grizzly, but I think, like, if it's if you're really Polish, like, it's completely yeah. different. But we're going to go with Grizzly. It's just, I call him, it's, for me, it's just Matt G and then mash the, the keyboard. Grizz. Matt G, mash the keyboard. Just the Grizz. Yeah, just yeah. Grizz. And then hope Spellcheck finds yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But but the Blues encounter, of course, with Colton Preko, Alex Pietrangelo, Vince Dunn, if he's healthy enough to play. Uh there's mobility on both ends, so I see that as a wash. But as a whole, I, I'm not prepared to say it, it's it's even. I would still say edge Boston in offense. Damn right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's- absolutely. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's it's an it's it's like a, a, a you know a Grand Canyon type of chasm between the two teams. Um, you know, I mean, if Boston wins this Stanley Cup, which I think they will. Uh, maybe I should maybe I shouldn't have buried the lead there, eh? or I should have maybe <laughs> saved that for the end. But uh, I think it'll be because of their firepower, and it, and if St. Louis is able to, you know, to 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 win this thing, I think it's going to be because that the fact that they were able to somehow you know stop these guys and and play a a sound defensive game. I mean, in those last two games against. Um, Against uh, who they play in the conference final? Again? I forget Car- already. Carolina. No. Uh, oh, you mean oh in the West, <laughs> yeah. San Jose. San Jose. In those last two games against San Jose, there was zero room. There was zero. Like San Jose couldn't do anything with uh-huh. the puck. There was zero room. They were on top of them. It was a very very effective team type of defense. Right, so, and I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that because that's the next category. Wow. It's defense. Uh, both teams play very good defense. The Bruins have actually allowed the fewest goals in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But if you look deeper at things like shots allowed and shot attempts, the the Blues are the more are the stingier team, and, and they were during the regular season too. In terms of one of the best teams in the league, seems like the Blues always are, no matter who their coaches. They're always really good at limiting uh, shot attempts and shots mm-hmm. on goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, San Jose, good example. Uh, the Blues got some really good defensive forwards like Ryan O'Reilly. Um, so do the Bruins, of course. Patrice Bergeron. I, I think both teams would be considered pretty exemplary in their mm-hmm. overall defensive play. Yeah. Um, and it, when you look at the quality of chances, and we're going to get to goaltending later, but the Bruins have done a better job than the Blues in terms of limiting the high-end chances, high-danger chances. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty close. I, I feel like the Blues are slightly stingier, and I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, a lower-scoring game, I think, is more likely... Like if you were to see the score of a game, okay, the game ended 2-1... And ask and which team is happier. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. I think the Blues fans would be like, okay, that bodes well for us. Right. Whereas, right. oh, the score is six five. I think the Bruins fans would think, okay, that means we probably yeah, won. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I I think that I would give a slight edge. I'm willing to commit edge St. Okay. Louis here. I'm gonna go a wash on defense. A wash. I'm gonna go a wash. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and goaltending is an interesting one. Okay, so both teams. Uh, goaltending has been a major strength throughout the playoffs. Yep. Uh, Jordan Bennington obviously helped carry the Blues to the playoffs in the first place. 
Tuukka Rask has been the best, maybe not just the best goalie, probably the best player uh, on the ice in the playoffs, oh, if period. You're, if you're awarding the Conn Smythe Trophy, it's, it is going to Tuukka Rask, isn't it? I think so. Like, it's not going to Brad Marshall. No. It's not going to Jaden Schwartz at this moment. Uh, it's, it's, in my opinion, if you had to give it out right now, like, Tuukka Rask is my guy for sure. That's right. And sure. I think on the surface, people might say goaltending's a wash because Bennington's been really good. But even if you look at who's been more tested, um, oh, yeah. Bennington, and this ties into the Blues defense, Bennington has faced 30 or more shots eight times in 19 appearances in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Rask has faced 30 or more 12 times out of 17. So Rask has been tested. He's had to carry a heavier mm-hmm. load. Absolutely. Uh, and Bennington's been good. But I don't think Bennington's been great. He hasn't been consistently outstanding. Well, there have been times when he's been a little leaky, mm-hmm. you know, and there have been no times in this playoff when Tuka Rask, like, has he let in a crappy goal? I can't even think of one that he's, you know, I can't even, you know, I mean, has he let in so few? Yeah. But, but like, I, I just, I mean, to me, Rat Tuka Rask is the epitome of a guy who is completely and utterly dialed in. Yeah. You know? And to me, that it, that bodes very well for the Bruins. Right. Uh, he, he just, it's almost like he's like, okay, you know, I, it's not quite the Patrick Waugh thing, but I got this, guys. Yeah. You know, we're we're in good shape. You All know? you can hope is that, if you're, if you're on the blue side, is that the huge layoff for the Bruins, is that going to mess with Rask's timing? Because right. he, he was right. dialed in, but that was a couple weeks ago. So... Is there any chance that he's going to lose his, lose his rhythm? And like I'm wondering, the way the Bruins started the entire playoffs, game one against the Leafs, that was the one game in the playoffs where they seemed to come out flat-footed. Right. And is there a risk of that happening in game one, maybe to Rask? I don't know. Oh, I, I think there definitely is a risk of that happening. I mean, I was just crunching the numbers here. The Bruins will have had, by the time this thing starts, they will have gone 10 full days between games. And that's tied for the longest layoff in the expansion era with the 2002 Anaheim Ducks, who lost in seven games to the Detroit Red Wings. Um, but, um, you know, so I do I, I do expect in the first part of game one that there will be some rust there, and there might be some on Rask, but I said it last week on the podcast, and I'll say it again. If you give me the choice 100 times out of 100 of having a long layoff and maybe having to shake off a bit of rust early in the first game, I'll take that every single time over, right. you know, having to go in there injured and not rested and that kind right. of thing. And even like Zidane Ocharis, it sounds like he's going to be ready for game one. Yeah. Like that, that amount of time, like 10 days, you could you could have broken your finger 10 days ago and like the doctor would have been like, you know, that bone is really starting to come back together. Yeah. That's yeah. a long way. Cra- David Krejci's actually got the flu right now and there, there's a bit of concern there because he missed, they had an inter-squad game on, uh, I know this... We're talking about goaltending, but I'm just kind of right, you know. doing the layoff thing. They uh, they had an inter-squad game Thursday night. He didn't play, and then they practiced today, Saturday, when we're doing this this podcast, and he didn't practice. So I think they're, you know, if he's not on the ice Sunday, I think they're going to start to wonder what they're going to have to do here. Fair. Okay. So going back to the goaltending, uh, I'm not prepared to call this a wash, even though Bennington's been very good. I okay. think this is still distinct advantage Boston. No to Garask has been to a Stanley Cup final. He's he's watched a Stanley Cup final up close in 2011 mm-hmm. and he participated in one 2013. Yeah. No, I no, I, I in my opinion it's it's not a wash. It's it's Rask be, just because of the fact that he is so incredibly dialed in right. Right. Uh, next up is special teams and 
again, like I think we're starting to see a trend here in terms of uh, if you're trying to guess who our Stanley Cup pick is. Next up, I, I think special teams might be, at least so far in the playoffs, where the Bruins have the strongest strongest advantage. Yeah. They yeah. have the best power play, 34%, I think it was, the last time I checked. Yeah. Um, penalty killing has been well above average, like near yeah. the top. Yeah. And Blues penalty killing has been below average. And it's been even worse on the road. Yeah. So it seems like the Blues have to find a way to stay out of penalty trouble. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the Blues are, are like one of the worst penalty killing teams in this year's playoffs. That's like right. percentage in terms of percentage. And they're the more physical team than the Bruins, and it, uh, especially on the forecheck. And it could backfire on them if they're not careful. Like, yeah. we, like you're, you're Patrick Maroon types yeah. going into the corner on Tory Krug. You have to suddenly have that in your head that, okay, the Bruins power play has been just murdering people. Mm-hmm. And the Blues penalty kill has been poor. Patrick Quinn, uh, Patrick Quinn, <laughs> Pat Quinn, the late great, the late and very great Pat Quinn, uh, when I was covering the Leafs for the Toronto Star, always maintained that that if you were, if your special, if your power play and penalty killing added up to a hundred, you were doing well. Anything over that was was pretty good, and anything under that was subpar. Well, right now, the Bruins are at. Over 120. Wow. When you when you add up their penalty killing and and 34% on the power play, 86.3% on the penalty kill. I was not a math major, but I played one on TV. <laughs> I think that's 120.3, isn't it? Let me see up close here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's 120.3, Ken, with the, the math. The Blues, meanwhile, are 19.4 on the power play, 78 on the penalty kill, 97.4%. Yeah, so the Blues yeah, so low like average. That is dark. And I think that's a big part stark. of the, that's a huge, huge difference. I, I wonder because we know throughout the playoffs, Ryan O'Reilly's random, sudden struggles with faceoffs have been pretty well documented, yeah. right? Yeah. He was, he's been so dominant, one of the most consistently outstanding faceoff guys in the league, right, right. regular season. But he hasn't been as good in the playoffs. Partially, I mean, against the Sharks, you're facing a lot of really good faceoff guys as well. Yeah. But I mean, he's Ryan O'Reilly. He's a really good faceoff guy too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think. Uh, I'd have to check the numbers to see what his his shorthanded faceoff numbers are, but I I'm wondering if that has something to do with the Blues mm. giving up more power play goals because they're yeah. not winning those yeah. crucial defensive zone draws. And guess who he's going to be up against on those faceoffs? Yellow, Patrice Bergeron, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So or Krejci, who's yard. no who's no slouch in that department either. Exactly. So I think special teams. We agree. Distinct advantage. Like Boston. Huge, huge. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the biggest advantage of the series. I, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Now the. Coaching is next, and this is one of the, the most interesting ones to me because usually when you get to the final, you either have a coach who's been around the block, who is super, super experienced, or or another coach who's inexperienced. Yeah. But this time, yeah. you have two coaches who are overall relatively inexperienced. Uh, both Bruce Cassidy and Craig Brubay are easily the furthest they've been uh, in the playoffs. Uh, and they, they don't even have – neither of them has a really deep minor league track record of going – long runs or winning championships as a head coach. Mm. If I remember correctly, neither of them has really won any major championship in any league as a head coach. Oh, interesting. Um, So I'm not seeing a major advantage over, uh, for one over the other here. Uh, Unless, unless, can you consider the sort of run through a wall factor for Craig Brubay because this is the guy that helped get this team from last place all the way here. Last place, January 3rd, all the way here. And is that enough of an advantage to be a plus for the Blues? Um, I, I don't think so at this stage of the game. I think now, I think the more you get through the playoffs, the less 
the whole emotional roller coaster thing is a factor. I think it's more precision in the final. That's why you see so few upsets in the final, in my opinion. You know, by, by that time, you know, the better team has established itself and that sort of thing. So I'm not sure that that's the case, but I, I don't think it could hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're right about Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, like, well, got to the final in the East Coast League in 18 years ago, 19 years ago. And has been out in round one or two every year since. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right about that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that'll be huge, but it certainly can't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right. I think this this one's a wash. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a wash. If I had to make a pick, I might lean St. Louis because the Blues. I'd say in two of their three series, they were not expected to win the series, and they overcame the favorite. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, Winnipeg and San Jose. Um, but, I mean, they're both very good system teams, right? Yeah. Like, like the Blues are playing a defensive system right now that is without peer. I mean, the the way they're on the puck, the way they don't give any room, the way they, you know, I mean, that that those last two games against San Jose were as good of defensive um, efforts as I've seen in this year's playoffs. Um, the Bruins, on the other hand, again with the power play, I mean, they've got the firepower. They've got, you know, they've they've got some. And I think they've they've overcome their penchant for trying to you know make every play look like it's a you know a, a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah. yeah. And I think in this case it's it's not a wash because neither guy is impactful. It's more that they're both impactful coaches. Mm-hmm. And it seems even when you look like you look up and down the lineup, especially in the Blues, but you, you don't see like wow this is a star-studded. Stanley Cup finalist looking roster per se, but it's a real, it's a, they function as a real team, especially the forward group. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, There's the esprit de corps. The esprit de corps, yes. Yes. Uh, and now let's get into intangibles. And this this is the, this is the grab bag category, everybody. It's anything that you think could matter and it could be nothing. Um, does anything in this series matter in terms of intangibles? The, the one that sticks out to me the most is experience. The yeah. Blues yeah. have no Stanley Cup winners, and we even looked up Oscar Sunkfist was a Pittsburgh Penguin in 2016, but he didn't play in the finals. You said Ken, yeah, he doesn't have a ring. He's not he's not engraved on the cup. On the cup. Whereas we know there are plenty of Bruins who have Stanley Cup experience. Charles, yeah. Marsha, and Bergeron, Rask has at least been to the final. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Is that is that an overblown thing? Does it really no. matter? No, I don't think it. I don't think it's overblown. I think it, I think it's something. It's a thing. It's not a an enormous thing, but it's, it's a thing. And, and I mean, you know, really, I mean, that was, that was eight and six years ago that they were in the final. It's not like they're coming back from, you know, two years ago having done this. Right. So I wonder if there's anything to, in terms of intangibles, in terms of the fact that the entire hockey world outside of Boston is cheering for St. Louis in this series. I think, Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I think there are, like any sport, I don't think any sports fan would cheer for a Boston team right now. Just, just because they've just got, because they win everything, they win everything right? Yeah. They win everything, and and you know if they win this, they're the reigning champion in baseball, football, and hockey, wow. um, which is inconceivable almost. Um, but but I, I just wonder if there's anything to that. Like the the you know the Blues have got you know I mean the the, the underdog sort of status of them and and the fact that they are kind of the you know, the, 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 the team that I think people are more inclined to, to want to see win, it probably doesn't mean much, but it's just, 
you know, you take anything you can get at this yeah, time yeah. of year, and right? And this is the intangible yeah. category, right? Yeah. So there's yeah. no bad answers, Kenneth. <laughs> but uh, I also uh, I crunched some numbers a little while ago, um, just looking at certain characteristics of uh, in the past decade or so Stanley Cup winning teams and what they shared. And one of the things they they shared is every single one of those teams had even one guy, just one or more. That had done it all and, and won a Stanley Cup. Even Washington last year yeah, had Brooks Orpik. Yeah. And he, if you go back to like the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks, had John Madden. Right. And right. The, the 2012. And they, had, they, had, uh, they had Brad Richards in 2015. Brad, they like had, they, every team yeah, had yeah. some guy. Well, I mean, they had a whole bunch of their own guys. That, yeah, right. that's but true. even the teams that yeah. were sort of first time ish winners, yeah. The, yeah. every one of those teams had someone <laughs> who had been through the battles before that okay. they could lean on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even like LA in 2012 had like Kurt Fraser. Like, they're not Kurt Fraser, uh, Colin Fraser. Colin Fraser. <laughs> Kurt Fraser like, wow, this is a great experience. Yeah, wow. But, yeah, Colin Fraser and even, like, you know, Justin Williams winning the Conn Smythe in 2014. So every one of these teams had someone. Uh, and the Blues, they don't. They don't have that one guy. Obviously, the Bruins do. Uh, so if you believe in that pattern, then that says the Blues don't have that crucial voice, just who knows exactly what you need to get over the hump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about the layoff. I, again, I don't. I, I don't think the layoff's going to matter a ton in the series as a whole, but I do think it, it's going to make Boston vulnerable just for Game One. Yeah, yeah. There's a chance to catch them napping, <clears throat> so that could threaten their home ice advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I think that. I think particularly in the first period. I mean, but you know, I mean, St. Louis will have been off for like six days themselves, right? Like, it's not like you've got a team that's you know, real, you know, really battle ready and, and, you know, has just come off a really big high and they're still riding that high. They've been, they've been off for a while too. Yeah. That series at Tuesday. That's right. And then the Bruins had a couple of scrimmages. So <laughs> imagine maybe the Bruins are those team that's in better game shape <laughs> yeah. and it gets flipped on its head. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too, um, Bruce Cassidy at the, his, the presser he gave today that we were, we were at, uh, mentioned that, uh, he felt the Blues were the most physical team, top to bottom, that Boston is going to face so far in these playoffs. So we know the officials put the old whistles away. Uh, so that could be a slight edge that the the Blues bring to the table this time over Boston, just being the more physical team. Maybe they can wear down that small defense. If we're if we're grasping at straws, that's what this category is. Uh, I, I say. I say the Bruins have a slight edge in intangibles because I do think that experience thing. It's there yeah, is that, a proven correlation. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so before we are going to get to our official series pick, you can kind of guess where we're heading here. But uh, before we do that, we're going to do a special Stanley Cup mailbag. Uh, first question is from Hard C at Angry Punishment, some kind of tough guy or gal here, uh, asking with with how the playoffs have gone this year, what do you think will be the copycat strategy for next season? Okay. And it's funny. I think that you hit on it a few minutes ago, Kenny. Um, last year, I thought that the new copycat thing was uh, the hybrid team that's fast and big, Washington. Um, but right now, it might be the team unit thing, the team yeah. that functions, that that uh, it puts its system above everything else and is sort of faceless and can roll four lines and just everyone operates under that same mm-hmm. defensive system. I don't know. I think you know what, Matt. I think the whole copycat thing is is overblown a little bit. There's no template. There's no template to win in the playoffs. You have to have good players. <laughs> you know, you have to have good talent. You have to be able to score. You have to be playing well at the right time. You got to get great goaltending, and you got to be able to overcome adversity. And you got to be right? honestly and, and, a little bit lucky. Yeah, Everything's got to yeah. line up. Like you catch you, you're in the right playoff year where yeah, the right exactly, team gets exactly, upset and exactly. just 
the stars exactly. align. Like the Boston Bruins, to their credit, I mean, they're the only team in this year's playoffs that has not fallen victim to the to the upset. Yeah. They're the only one. They're the only one. Because St. Louis has been has upset teams. They're, they're the, the upset tour. Yeah, they, yeah. They're the upset tour instead of the upset team. And and I just I don't know, I just think this whole copycat thing, like, you know, I Pete Pete DeBoer was saying the other night after the series ended, he said well, you know, now Boston and, and St. Louis are the two biggest, hardest teams in the playoffs, you know, and, uh, and you know, everybody says there's this place for small, skilled players, you know, but where have they gone, you know, you know that kind of thing. And, and I guess it's true to a certain extent because, you know, Johnny Goodrow did ne- next to nothing in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the smaller guys in the league were kind of nullified in the first round, but that doesn't explain that Jaden Schwartz is probably – the best non-goalie yeah. in the playoffs and left Tor- on these two teams. Tory Krug. And Tory Krug. And Brian Marchand's not a big guy either. Not so at all. I really don't think that there's... I think this copycat thing gets gets overblown a little bit. I don't think there's any one template. You have to build. You have to build from within. You have to do all those things. And you have to have a team that's got good players and, mm-hmm. as, as, as you say, you know, the stars align, right? right? And if you end up chasing the copycat thing, by the time you've chased it, then the game's evolved yeah, again. Yeah, it might, and, it might, yeah, it might have gone right. in a d- different direction. Like if you were chasing the 2017 Penguins going for all speed, and then you got, you would have gotten beat up by the 2018 Capitals. Right, right. right so right. it does keep changing, absolutely. Yep. Uh, next question is from Hansa Rapek. Hansa asks... Hansa. Hansa. That's where, John in English, oh, in, in Czech. Cool That's story, John bro. Czech, oh, yeah, because... Yeah. Ken's wife is born in Prague. She and was. she's there right and now. And her brother's name is John, and they call him Hunter. Whoa. So, true story. You learn something new <laughs> every day. Uh, and Hansa asks, where does winning the cup put the Bruins core, Bergeron, Rask, Krejci, Marchand, and Chara, in regard to Hall of Fame or Jersey retirement? Well, I think there's a few a few names on that list uh, that we know are automatic <laughs> Hall of Famers already, yep. starting yep. with Chara. Well, they're, they're saying, oh, Oh, Hall of Famer or retirement, yeah, jersey. or jersey, yeah, 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 jersey retirement, yeah. So to me, like, and I think Char's Char might be a, reti- a jersey retirement guy in Boston as well, because as a oh, long, I, don't, um, I don't think there's any, chance. yeah, long time captain. Doubt. I don't think there's any doubt. And he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, and I mean, you look at this, and if they win, and and you say, does where does winning the cup put them? Right? Okay, well, Zdeno Chara, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, they will have won as many cups as Boston Bruins as. Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, Johnny Busick, Jerry Cheevers, all those guys, they only won two in a time when it was a hell of a lot easier to win the Stanley Cup than it is now. And they got to another final. Yeah. Bergeron, to me, for me, Bergeron is an automatic Hall of Famer now, too, because he's got the four Selkie trophies. Yeah. And now he's really, in in recent years, he's really padding the stats with more offense playing on that dominant line, too. So he's going to, he ended up, he might end up. Get, getting a thousand points by the time he retires as well. So to me, Bergeron, that's another one. Automatic Hall of Famer, that's easy. Yeah. Uh, Marshawn, I think the sample size has to keep growing, but he's on a path where, you know, if you pass. He could be a borderline like, guy at some point, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I mean, he's, is he going to get 100 points every year for no, the next little while? But he's been flirt. He's been steadily among the league leaders or close yeah. to. And I mean, he may win the Con Smythe, and that would be another sort of notch you know sure. in his favor right yeah and Tuka Rask is an interesting one for me because it, I, I think if you add a, a cup and a con Smythe to the resume then I think he's suddenly on the fast track because he's yeah, already yeah. 
um, at right close to the top all time save percentage. Save percentage, yeah. Uh, and he's uh, won a Vezina trophy. So if you add, you know, great save yeah. percentage Vezina, then yeah. the, a cup and a con smite. Then and, and he's know. got and he's got time to, to to add to that too. Yeah. Unless of course they run him out of town in this yeah. stinking city. That's right. What's up with that? Jeez. Can Jeez. you finally accept he's good, everybody? Yeah. He, he always was. This is not a new thing. Yeah. He was always this good. Uh, but for me, David Krejci, that and uh, you know, all due respect to David Krejci, yeah, he's no. not close. Like no, he's not. No, he could play another five years. Well, but see, it's Hansa, yeah, Hansa, and he's from the Czech, so oh. he probably wanted to know if Krejci was in the same yeah. spot with those guys. Sorry, Hansa, and he's not. Char's a Slovak, yeah, and is. So That's there right. you go. <laughs> but yeah, Krejci's a good. Krejci's a really good player. He's a good player. He's a yeah. really good player. But he's. But you save the Hall of Fame for great players. You yeah. save Jersey retirements for great players, and Krejci is. A really good. Player. Yeah, he's got no major, yeah. no no major hardware. Everyone and not not even like he's never even come close. No, as far as I can. He's a good remember. solid player, but that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question is from Dylan Wheaton, and Dylan says, "What is the most important piece for a team to win the cup outside the usual number one center, D-man, and goalie?" It's a really hard one. I don't want to cop out and rehash, but I do think my answer is that having that guy or somebody that's won it before mm-hmm. just to be the mentor. Um, hopefully that's not a boring answer, but okay, I'll give you another one just because I don't want to just be rehashing what I said a few minutes ago. Uh, when I did this study a few years ago, uh, one of the other strong correlations in terms of special teams from regular season, it wasn't power play that translated to cup winners consistently, but it was penalty killing. Penalty teams with good penalty killing, uh, tend to strongly correlate with Stanley Cup champions. And it's weird, right? Because you think... Like, there aren't as many penalties. I mean, or are there? Like, I think you've done that. You've crunched those numbers, too. Well, maybe it's because, you know what it is. It's like, there aren't as many, but because there aren't as many, then every opportunity yeah, is because, more yeah, important yeah, 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 like, yeah. For, yeah. on both ends. Okay, so is depth a piece? Is team depth a piece? Yeah, Can you sure. consider that to be a piece? I think so. I think that's what you need. I think you need contributions from everybody up and down the lineup. You cannot, you know, there have been a lot of one-dimensional, one-line type of you know, one trick pony type of teams that have, you know, watched their playoff hopes go up in flames often. Uh, but, you know, you, you trace back, you do the lineage for every team that's won the Stanley Cup, and you've got four lines and six defensemen and a goaltender that are all sort of at the top of their game. So I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say just sort of overall team depth. Okay. And, um- Next question is Bobby Borges or Borg Borgies. Who knows, Bob? Who knows, buddy? But uh, Bobby asked, "What is the Achilles' heel for the Boston Bruins?" Tough one because they don't have many weaknesses. But yeah. what do you got there, Kenneth? Well, we were talking a little bit about it before, and I think I think if there's one place where the Bruins might be able to be exploited, it's their size on defense. Now. Now stop laughing because I know they have Brandon Carlo who's ten feet tall and Zidane Chero who's ten feet tall as well. But they also have Tori Krug who's what five ten. Mm-hmm. They've got Matt uh, <laughs> Grizzlick who's five foot nine and Connor Clifton who's five foot ten. Um, and Charlie McAvoy is six feet and he's a fire hydrant and he's a bigger guy, but he's not huge. Mm-hmm. So I think if there's any sort of one place where the Bruins might might be vulnerable. It's that if you you know if those big St. Louis forwards start grinding in their end, start cycling the puck, start punishing those guys, maybe they can create some opportunities and, and exploit some uh, a little bit of a soft underbelly. Excellent, and I th- I think yeah I, I don't see a very obvious uh, 
weakness with the Bruins either. Uh, I still wonder if they, if when they really need a goal, I think it, if you find a way to shut down their elite line, then I think they're vulnerable. Even though, yes, I know Charlie Coyle had a, has had a great playoffs, but overall, they, they set the tone. They yeah, set they the set the tone. tone. Those guys set the tone. And you look at yeah. like when they when they did last time they got eliminated in the playoffs. So it was Tampa, right? Uh, that did it to them last year, and it was the re- the main reason why it happened was because the Braden Point line neutralized. Uh, the the Bergeron line and the Blues do have a line that's capable of playing that type of hockey, that right. sort of two way right. hockey and and uh, agitating and just shutting down, smothering because you ha- you have the ability to put Ryan O'Reilly and Jaden Schwartz on them. So theoretically, on paper, there is an exciting matchup there. Uh, I don't think that the Blues are going to win that duel, but I think that the blueprint is there on paper. Right. Uh, I feel like just to be fair, we should also <laughs> say what we think the Achilles' heel is for. The Blues. We've had a few Bruins questions here. Uh, I don't know what the Achilles heel. I, th- I think it's. I think it's. 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 Um, well, I, I think you, you. You know their their ability to to create offenses yes. is is always going to be a question when you, you know? really need. When you really goal, need, yeah, yeah. Can they? Whereas I think the blue the, the Bruins have the ability to just you know put give the puck to Pasternak or something or yeah. or Marshawn. But I think the Blues, especially Tarasenko's got immense talent, but he hasn't been consistent with it. Um, no, right, right. Yeah, I think that's. I, I would agree. It's the ability to when you know you need a goal, can you go and get that goal? And and again, going back to your point, there might be a little lack of, you know, there might be like, holy crap, we're in the final, mm-hmm. you know, like wow, this is way different than anything I've experienced before, you know. So maybe there, maybe that's part of it too. Fair. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our prediction uh, today, we were at the press conference press conference with coach Bruce Cassidy after their practice. He had some interesting things to say. So go ahead and give it a listen. Here's Bruce Cassidy, coach of the Boston Bruins, featuring questions by Ken and me. (laughs) Have you found yourself enjoying the downtime a little bit with this layoff, or are you so focused on trying to get your feet prepared? No, I think you have to. Um, Don't drive yourself crazy, so get your work done. I think our team has, I feel anyway, has been prepared most nights all year. I think they've been prepared in the playoffs. There's always exceptions. I believe they'll be ready to go uh, Monday night. I think you're always concerned, Tim, you're missing something along the way. You don't want to get caught, you know, but I think you also have to keep a lot of that in-house. You don't want to give too much information to the players or where they're overthinking. So some of that is for us, for our knowledge, in case it comes up, all of a sudden there's a face-off play and um, we want to make sure we, you know, we're on top of it. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm going to go to a baseball game in about an hour as soon as I get out of here. So I'm going to run down time. Not the Red Sox, my little guys. Uh, weather's been nice. So, uh, yeah, as much as you can. I mean, you're a coach, right? So your brain never really shuts down. You're always thinking of stuff. But for the most part, it's been an enjoyable ride. Uh, coach, what's it mean that you've had uh, so many players in that locker room that have had a cup experience with this organization? You've kept them all together for this long. Well, I, I, I would hope it would be an advantage for us. Um, only St. You know, I can't speak for St. Louis. For us, I, I do believe those guys have been great. Um, I've said it more this week, right now, this downtime. I think a lot of young guys aren't sure how to approach it, even some guys that have been around. Uh, so they've been great to, to deal with this particular um, you know, kind of business of you know staying focused, being selfish with your time, and then still kind of getting away from the rink and relaxing. So 
I think once the puck dropped, they'll obviously do their thing when it comes to helping the young guys. But you know, I think that's when our team will just play hockey. So the, the biggest value we've had out of them is, I would assume, this week. We'll see going forward. But uh, you know, for me, it means a lot. I talked to Z and you know Berger after the scrimmage the other night. Of course, last two guys to leave, uh, two most accomplished guys, and uh, so they're, they're taking this very seriously. Um, and I think the, the team uh, feeds off those guys, so that now all of a sudden it's like, well, we get, these guys are focused, we need to be focused, so it's just a trickle-down effect which helps us. Third row on the left. Uh, Bruce, I mean, as is almost always the case with hockey players, the on-ice persona and the off-ice person are, are very different, and I, I know that's the case with Brad Marchand, but can you just tell us a little bit about what he's like and tell people maybe that don't know what he's like, what he, you know, what kind of a person he is? Well, first, I think he's very generous with his time. Uh, after every game, you can usually see him out there uh, stopping to chat with young kids, um, people that are guests of his. So I think he's he's got a huge heart uh, when it comes to, to that area. I think he's a funny guy in the locker room. Uh, he's always got a little, you know, something gamemanship going on with someone in there. Uh, doesn't miss a beat when it comes to if someone you know, has a misstep in there, he's going to give him a little poke. And uh, But he's also the hardest working guy, I, I believe, uh, on the ice, off the ice. I mean, I shouldn't say the hardest because, you know, Bergie and Z are in that mix as well, but he's right there with those guys. Uh, and I think he's w really, really well liked by his teammates because of he's very inclusive as well um, with everybody in the room. So he's just, unfortunately, like I said, a lot of guys don't see that side of him. I have for a long time. Uh, so that's why I always kind of have his back and appreciate what he brings. Yeah. Coach, is this uh, the best version of Tukarask you've seen in your time with the team? And do you think that the correlation with his smaller workload this year is a coincidence? Uh, it is the best I've seen. Uh, and I'll, I'll put that in context of this time of year, the most important time of year. We've seen him run off uh, somewhere in the last year, was it? 20 game point streak or 19 and this year 17 so clearly he's had his moments where he's been in that zone but when everything's magnified this time of year uh, as for the rest only he could answer that that was our plan um, to give him less starts we I, I think we've talked about it that there was the specific number that I think this year if he had 49 it wasn't like we said he's gonna have exactly we wanted to keep it under probably closer to 52 to 55 uh, Yarrow allowed us to rest him a little more so I would assume it would help him this time of the year. I still think he's certainly capable of playing well this time of the year if he had a few more starts. You get into the 60s, then I don't know. Mike and then Fluto. Bruce, um, no Christian out there again today. Um, illness again, mm -hmm. uh, precautionary. I suspect we'll see him tomorrow, that is the plan. If he's not out tomorrow, now we gotta, you know, now there's a little bit of worry there. Uh, but right now, I, I I believe he'll be practicing tomorrow. It's just two practices, but I mean, is it Well, he up? said he doesn't like to practice, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll, give, we'll grant him his wish. <laughs> for him to miss too late in the, in the preparation, any any big deal? Or? Um, obviously, we'd like to have him out there. We're going through some things, special teams with his group. Um, certain tendencies of St. Louis, or we're trying to practice against um, or defend against or try to exploit on the offensive side of things. He'll miss that, but at the end of the day, he's been around a long time, very cerebral player. So that part of it, I'm not concerned about. He can pick things up in a hurry. It's more about when you miss two or three days, 
do you have your legs? Do you have your stamina? You know, we're not banging out there, but we have a little more the last few games, starting to get back into the physicality part of it, or at least a feel for that. So that'll be my concern more than um, strategy, I, I believe. Just missing this bit of time, you lose a bit of that <clears throat> getting back to the grind, so you'll have to catch up quickly. Just curious to know, you started career in 96, 97 in the ACHL as a really young coach in Jacksonville, and then your first big gig was in Indianapolis in the IHL. At that time, was it possible for you to be dreaming about that type of day, being part of the Stanley Cup final experience? No, I, I think everyone does. Me, it was always as a player, as I've said that. You know, it's like every other kid, I wanted to do it on skates, but uh, behind the bench is the next best thing. You're always hoping you get the opportunity. So uh, I'm certainly one of those guys. I didn't know when it would come, if ever. So yes, I, I certainly thought that I was hoping I'd have a good career path. It's been up and down, but here we are, finally getting the opportunity. So. Uh, to go back to your question, I am enjoying it. It's just, you know, you, you really got to be ready. You don't want to let it slip away. You never know when you'll be back here again. So I think some days you overthink uh, some, some of the stuff that's going on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, here we are. I, I don't have a great answer to your question other than yes. I mean, of course, that's, this is, a, <laughs> this is a, a, a challenge every coach wants. He wants a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and we're four wins away. Steve, last one. Uh, Bruce, your smaller D held, held up very well to the physical challenges of Carolina and Columbus. Is there anything that St. Louis brings as a unique challenge for those guys in particular? I think they're more consistently physical. Uh, Columbus is probably certain lines. Um, Carolina, the same way. I think this is a more uh, one after the other line that will finish checks. Probably the most physical we've seen, at least that the people I've talked to, what we watch and our small sample size of the two games we played them. That's what I expect. Uh, the, even their scoring like that, Shen, uh, Schwartz, and Tarasenko, probably going to be more physical, well, I know they will be, than a Panarin, Atkinson, and you know, whoever, they kind of rotated center. So it's a little more every shift, you got to be prepared to, to get finished. So you got to be aware, you got to be ready, you got to be agile, those smaller guys moving um, before that they get in their sights. And, and then you got to be able to take some of those. It's inevitable. We saw that with Chris. You know, he took some big hits and bounced back. So, you know, we do have some tough guys back there. You don't want to put yourself in that position too much. So that'll be the message to them. But once the puck drops, they, you know, they've, they've gone through it. So they're going to have to make sure they're prepared for that. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you to the Bruins for letting us in their building today. We just made it off the plane. That was fun. Straight from the airport. Straight from the airport. Straight from the airport. To, to, the, the, practice. to the practice. I tell you that right now. You know what? And we were doing that for you, people, okay? We were trying to deliver, uh, you know, the best coverage we possibly can. <laughs> and we did. Or didn't. Who knows? Uh, prediction time. Let's put the cards on the table. Okay. I've got the Bruins in six. I've got the Bruins in five. Okay. So no, no big contentious argument unless we want to decide as to whether it's going to be five or six. But... Uh, too bad Ryan's not here. Maybe he would offer a contrarian yeah. opinion. I don't know. But it just feels like... Yeah, I, I feel like the Bruins take both games in Boston. They split in St. Louis, and then the Bruins come back and win it in Boston. Mm -hmm. That's that's how I feel. And and I, I, I'm not saying it won't be close. I'm not saying that. People that cheer for the St. Louis Blues, I'm not saying this, this series won't be close. But I would not be surprised if it wasn't particularly mm -hmm. close. I think it's all, like about, last year. it's all about game one to yeah. me. And, and, yeah. and, it might sound lame to say, oh, whoever wins game one, but I think that's the most crucial opportunity of the series for the Blues. If you catch Boston a little bit sleepy, then you get a split, and after that, 
Who knows? Because you grind it out. You just if the Blues would be a fun, that's a, that's a tough building to play in mm-hmm. uh, right now because that's a hungry building of fans who have been waiting for a long, yeah, long yeah. time for a cup. Yeah. So uh, if the Blues get a split going back there, then it's like, okay, it's anybody's series. Right. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the final, and we'll be talking to you again soon, I'm sure. Yeah.